You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. something first. Today is Nate Farrow's first Sunday at Valley View, preaching there as pastor. Well, as he starts that today, this past week, uh, suddenly uh, the minister music's wife passed away. And uh, so he starts his ministry there, literally having to lead that congregation through their, through their gr- grief. So let's pray and remember Nate uh, and uh, and David, David is the minister of music out there. Remember them in our prayers. Also, Dr. and Miss Kelly uh, have been in the emergency room for about 48 hours. Uh, they started out over in Brookwood's uh, standalone place, and they were there some 24 hours. Now they're down at the hospital, and I think at least they were early this morning still in the emergency room. She has an unexplained fever and the oncologist has been talking to him. And I, I understand they've gotten some good news now from the oncologist. And, uh, but they've been throwing all kind of antibiotics at her to get the fever down. So, and he, he's been there faithfully with her. So let's pray for them as well. And uh, let's give the Lord thanks for the six teenagers that gave their lives to Christ uh, this weekend. So thankful for those that... So thankful for those that worked, and thank you for praying for me. I, I, I went, I thought I was going to a Lutheran church in Florida yesterday. It turned out to be an evangelical, Anglican, charismatic congregation. I had a great time. Uh, we gave the invitation, it was a men's conference, and I, I had about 70 men just down on their face before the Lord. And I just thank the Lord for that. I understand there was a great men's conference here this weekend. Uh, God's moving among men. Uh, it really is. And I'm, I'm just uh, amazed and I'm thankful because I'm convinced that if, uh, if revival is going to come to America, it's going to have to come through men. Amen. It's going to have to come through men. Father, we do come before you and just lift up Dr. and Miss Kelly. Pray, Father, for that whole situation. Lord, if she's not in the room yet, please prepare a room for her there that they can get her in. We do pray for good reports. Uh, We do pray for Nate this morning and for David, who's lost his wife this week. I pray, Lord, that you give Nate wisdom and uh, give him confidence in you as he leads that congregation. We thank you, Father, for all of those that worked with our youth this weekend and for the decisions that were made And uh, for what we see you doing in our church, we give you thanks. Now, Lord, help us to focus our hearts and our minds on your word and what you're saying to our lives. For I pray it now in Jesus' name, amen. In uh, 1505, the great Italian Renaissance painter, and I love the way the Italians pronounce his name, Raffaele, Raffaele (laughs) painted this picture right here. It's a picture of the Madonna, Um, It is considered to be one of the greatest pieces of art in the world. 
and it is a classic of the Italian Renaissance. It is the Madonna del Corleano. Corleano, I think that's right. It is uh, Mary, and she has John the Baptist, and she has Jesus. Now, we put a little fig leaf there so nobody would be upset. So, um, you know, Raphael didn't do that. That was, uh, the pastor painted that. No. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's John the Baptist and Jesus. They're playing. You can't, probably can't see it, but they're playing with a little golden finch, a little bird. And I've tried to get up on it and I've tried to see it, but I can't see. But Raphael painted some thorns and thistles that the bird was eating in, to foreshadow what was going to come to Jesus Christ. Now, he painted that in 1505 as a wedding gift for a friend. And so he painted it, gave it to the couple, and they hung it in their home. And 40 years later, in that area, a massive earthquake occurred and shattered everything in that area. This beautiful piece of painting was uh, shattered into 17 pieces. Uh, one of the artist of that day tried to put it back together with a hammer and nails. Uh, and it further just destroyed the painting. He went in and tried to paint out all of the cracks and all of the, you know, the, the, the pieces of paint that had broken off and all and really did a very poor job of it. And after 500 years of grime and dirt and, you know, soot and off of candles and all of that, it just was a very poor copy of what Raphael had done. So in 2008, I want you to listen to this, a restoration on this picture. That's the restored picture there. Um, a restoration took place and they went in. It took 50 artists, 10 years to restore that piece of art right there. And the word from them is this, is that the restoration is one of the modern miracles of our time. They say that the restoration of this Madonna was greater than the original painting of Raphael. Now, that's exactly what Paul is saying to you and to me and to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2 that our lives were just shattered into a thousand, thousand pieces and it was covered with the gunk of sin from all these years and uh, all of the mistake of our trying to put ourselves back together couldn't do it, just made it worse. So he comes now to really one of the famous verses in all of the New Testament. It, probably many of you know this by heart. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship in Christ Jesus. Uh, his workmanship uh, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, uh, prepared by God beforehand in which we should walk. So we know the passage very well, but do we ever stop and really work through the passage to see what God is saying? He's talking about the recreative work of God in a sinner's life. 
So as we come to this, I want you to see his devotion to us because his devotion can be seen in our restoration. He's restored us in Jesus Christ. He's literally recreated us in Jesus Christ. We've been born again in Jesus Christ. So he comes and he's going to show you the supreme work of Jesus Christ in these very familiar verses that we have right here. So look with me, chapter two, beginning in verse eight, he comes and look at what he talks about. He talks about the supreme work of God that begins with what? Grace. The supreme work of God begins with grace. What is the supreme work of God? It's the work of salvation through Jesus Christ. And how does that come about? It comes about by grace. Look at what he says back up in verse five. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, have you been saved? Now he's gonna come and he's gonna expand on that. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. Now, let me just stop and let me walk you through a couple of things with this very familiar passage uh, that some people have believed about uh, this passage and about uh, the whole issue of God's salvation. In fact, I just, I just had a person out in the lobby ask me, who was in the last service, come up and ask me about this very thing. What I want you to realize is this. Do not think that God hated you or mankind until Jesus came and died for us. There are a lot of people who believe that. A lot of people who think that God was our enemy, that God wanted to kill us, that God hated us um, and did not change his mind until Jesus Christ came. Let me, let me take you back and show you one verse out of Romans chapter 5 and uh, it's verse eight. And I want you to listen to what Paul says. Romans five, verse eight. But God, listen now, demonstrates. Now the word there is a compound word, but it comes from the word histomy, which means to stand up. We use it, we translate it as resurrection. So he has resurrected or he has stood up before us his own love toward us. He's put it up in front of us. He's displayed it. He's demonstrated. God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now understand that God did not dislike us or hate us or wanted to destroy us before Jesus Christ came. In fact, that's exactly the opposite. What we're told in the New Testament is that he loved us so much he sent his only begotten son. So don't get that confused. Don't get that messed up. That's what Paul now calls grace. He says, here is grace. Grace is the fact that God loved you even as a rebel, even as a sinner, even as um, a one who was breaking his word, breaking his law, running away from him. That he moved towards you in grace. Now, the other thing that I want to come to is this whole issue of grace and mercy, because we get these things confused. We're not exactly sure what they are, but what Paul comes here in this whole second chapter and tells us is that God is giving to us with both hands. You know the expression, boy, he didn't just give, he gave with both hands. He's giving with both hands here. God comes and he's giving with both hands. What does he give? He gives grace. What is grace? Grace is what? 
I do not deserve. Jesus Christ came and he gives to me what I do not deserve. What do I not deserve? God's love, God's forgiveness, God's long suffering, God's kindness, uh, God's patience. I don't deserve any of that. If I got, you know, there's a lot of people running around just claiming, you know, well, we deserve this, we deserve that. Listen, if you got what you deserved, you'd get, you'd get hell. That's what you deserve. Uh, if God gave me what I, I don't want God to give me what I deserve. I want him to give me grace. I want him to give me what I don't deserve. Now that is grace. Mercy, on the other hand, is God not giving you what you do deserve. That's mercy. I want that too. Give me a, you know, I, I like it, I love it, I want some more of it. Give me the grace, give me the mercy. Let me have all of it that I can get. I'm not going to give you what you do deserve. You ever heard that? I heard that from my daddy all the time. Boy, you know what you deserve. I'm not going to give it to you right now, but, you know, that's what you deserve. That's God. That's the mercy of God not giving us what we do deserve. That's mercy. So you've got God coming at us, and God is giving us with both hands all of this, giving us what we do not deserve, not giving us what we do deserve. So he comes in all of this, and we're told, for by grace you've been saved through faith. That is how salvation comes to us. Well, go back now to verse 1, 2, and 3 and read that in the light of what he's just said. It's grace and it's mercy. It's his love with which he has loved us. You go back to chapter, well, we're there in chapter 2, but go back to verse 1 and 2 and 3. And what you read is this, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. It doesn't get any darker than that. I suppose the darkest place in the world is in a grave. It's just dark. Uh, and we were dead. We were, we were in the darkness of transgression and sin. Then he comes in verse 2 and he says, you were formerly walking after the God of this world, the prince of this world. I was walking into anything and everything Satan was setting up for me. Y'all could amen. To, you know, I'm not the only one who did that. I did do it. Uh, but, but we all did that. We were following whatever he threw Threw in front of us, we were doing it. And then he comes in verse three and he talks about us. We're just living in the flesh and living whatever popped, living out whatever popped into our minds. I did whatever my flesh told me to do. I did whatever came up into my mind to do. I just did it. I didn't think about it. I didn't study it. I didn't argue with it. I didn't debate it. When I was in sin, I was in sin. I was in the deepest darkness of my life and I did not realize how dark the darkness was. Do you want to know why? Because it was dark and I was dead. <laughs> I've shared a little bit of this with you before, but years ago I, I told Debbie, I said, I really want to take all of my kids to Israel, but I want them to come into Israel the way the Hebrews did up through uh, Egypt. So we flew into Egypt, flew into Cairo. We spent Christmas, by the way, um, in the Valley of the Kings uh, that year. And then we came back. We got into a little small van. We had an armed guard with us and uh, we took off and we went into the Sinai. 
and we went all the way down to St. Catherine's, which is at near the bottom of the Sinai and is the traditional place of uh, Mount Sinai. And at three o'clock one morning, we got up and got on camels to go up Mount Sinai. Now, you had to start out early because the whole purpose was we want to get there to see the sunrise. So we got on camels and we rode for what seemed like forever and a day, um, probably was about an hour or so. And we rode them up as far as we could go. And then you had to get off because you had to hike the rest of the way. Now, Mount Sinai is 7,000 feet up, around 7,000 feet high. And so we, you know, we went up and we saw the sun come up and we said, boy, wasn't that fun. And um, um, does that every morning. You can see it anytime you want to want to see it, you can see it. And we saw it from Mount Sinai. And so then we started down. By this time, the sun's up and everything. You can see everything. And we're headed back down. And we get back down as far as you could walk. Then you could get on a camel then. So I got on a camel to go back down. And as I did, we got out on that path. I saw where we had come up. In the, listen, it was so dark, I couldn't even see the head of the camel that I was riding on. There's no lights within hundreds and hundreds of miles of St. Catharines, uh, of Mount Sinai. No light whatsoever. It's so dark, you can't imagine how dark it is. I knew I was in, I'd talk to Debbie. That's the only thing I could hear was the sounds this camel was making. And I could hear Debbie as she was talking to me, you know, she said, Is it, are we going to fall off this thing? I said, no, just, it's okay. Everything's all right. Don't be afraid. Well, I got back to where we came up. And let me tell you something. I, my blood ran cold because I, where that camel would put that big old fat pad of his down you could look right straight down about a thousand feet, nothing but rock. And, you know, and me telling her, oh, it's nothing to worry about. It's fine. This camel does this every morning. And so I asked the guide, I said, hey, man, has any, you ever lost anybody off of, no, you know, camels know what they're doing. I did not realize how close to death I was. It was not, I could say what David said, there was not a step between me and death. If that old camel had put that fat foot off on that thing, it'd have been, I wouldn't be here. I don't know who'd be preaching to you, but it wouldn't be me. Uh, it, it, it would have been gone. Do you understand that's what he's saying to you? Is that when you were in the darkness of sin, you did not realize how close to the judgment of God you were. You didn't realize how close to the wrath of God you were. You just didn't realize it. Why? Because you were in absolute darkness and you were dead in your trespasses and sin. And the fact of the matter is, in through that darkness came Jesus Christ with his life, not to bring judgment to you, but to bring salvation to you. And so there you, there you have it. So for by grace, you've been saved through faith. That is, here comes Jesus Christ and the great supreme work of God begins with his grace. Doesn't begin with you, but it begins with God. Now, let me show you the second thing. And the second thing is this. The supreme work of God elicits our response. He is waiting for us to respond. You may be here this morning and you may be right now in your life and you feel like God is speaking to you. That's the Holy Spirit who's trying to draw you, who's trying to pull you, who's trying to call you to come to Christ. 
You don't come to Christ without a call of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so here he comes and watch it, what he says. For by grace have you been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So he is trying to call you, to draw you, to, to use a romantic term. He is there to woo you to Jesus Christ. But we look at this and we misunderstand what's being said a lot of times. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now the question is, what is the gift of God? What's the gift? Faith. No. That's not the gift. And you say, well, God gives you faith as a gift and that's your believing. I'm going to read to you out of Calvin's commentary. Calvin didn't even believe that. His meaning is not that faith is the gift of God, but that salvation is the gift of God. That's exactly right. What is the gift of God? Salvation. Is grace a gift? Sure it is. Is faith a gift? Well, sure it is. But that's not the emphasis here. And it's not what we often think about it, uh, that faith is just given to us so we automatically believe. No, 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 no. Don't do that, people. Listen to me. Let me quote Sinclair Ferguson, who's a great expositor, but another Calvinist. I want you to listen to what he said. God does not do the believing for us. We are the ones who must believe. The gospel calls for a faith response. Isn't that what I just said? And I, didn't I just tell you that the supreme work of God in our lives elicits a response? You hear the word of God, salvation is presented, the Holy Spirit speaks to you, faith comes through the word of God, now you must do the believing. You must be the one who exercises that faith. And you say, well, that would be works. No, it's not. It's obedience. It's responding to the call of God. It is not of works. Philippians 1.29 says this, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sakes, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. He says, who does the believing? You do. Now, here's where we get off on all of this, folks. And I'll come back to the text in a moment. We get off in, in this place because we go too far this way. By the way, you have to understand Calvin and Luther and Zwingli and Hubmeyer. You have to understand these guys were, they were being, they were literally in a war with the Roman church. If you read any of Calvin very long, he's going to, he's going to go straight to that whole thing of, of the idea of a pope and the papist uh, state and all of this. He was doing battle, and he was trying desperately to show uh, the opposite of what the Roman church was saying, and that is you participate in your salvation. Listen, somebody asked old Harry Ironside one time, said, what was your part in your salvation? He said, I, I did the sinning. <laughs> that was my part. You want to know what my part in my salvation was? I provided the sin. And what were we talking about before y'all got me off on that? <laughs> so, you, you, so you've got this extreme over here, and then you've got folks the other way who say, no, no, preacher, 
That's just too simple. That's too simple. I, I can't agree with that. There's got to be something. And I've had people tell me this before. There is something I must do. And I will say, there ain't a thing you can do. Jesus has done it all. Well, I just, I can't accept that. There, there, there are things I've got to do. I, I've got to do this. I want to give you an illustration. Long, 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 long time ago in the 1950s, Duncan Hines came out. They, they, had, they came out with a real wonder. Uh, they came out with a mix that all you had to do was to take that mix, pour some water in it, stir it up, pour it in the pan, stick it in the oven, and out would come a cake. Nobody bought it. It sat on the shelves. And so Duncan Hines said, we got to figure out. Nobody's buying this thing, uh, but it works wonderfully. What, what, what's wrong? Why do they not buy it? And so they got all of these cooks together, and they got all of these uh, housewives together, and they did what we would call today a focus group. And so they go through all of these questions, and in the middle of all these questions, they ask about the Duncan Hines mix, and uh, all, of the, all of the women there and all of the chefs and the cooks there, they all said, well, you can't do a cake. That's going to be no good. Everybody knows you've got to have milk and eggs to make a cake. So you know what Duncan Hines did? You, you buy it and do it all the time now. It's so easy. He said, if it's so easy, why don't y'all bring me more cakes? <laughs> On the box, they didn't change the formula. On the box, they said, add this much milk and put in an egg. And the rest is history. That's what you buy now. And you say, oh, I've done so much work with this bacon. This cake has just exhausted me. I put a, the milk into the powder and the egg in there, and boom, there you go. Because we feel like we've got to do something. That's human nature. And that is more human nature in the West than it is anywhere else in this world is that I've got to work and do something to earn whatever it is that you're giving me. And I am telling you, Paul comes and he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. What is the gift of God? Salvation. It begins with grace. You exercise your faith. Now, here, here is the understanding of that. God's grace bends over, and he reaches down with the cross and Jesus Christ, and he says, here is my grace. What do I do? I reach up in faith and receive it. It's not a work. It is just doing what God tells me to do. He says, with your mouth, you confess the Lord Jesus Christ. And in your heart, you believe that God raised him from the dead. Because we got people running around saying, oh, don't pray to ask Jesus into your heart. Well, where are you going to ask him to come? To your big toe? <laughs> Paul says, with your heart, we believe unto salvation. It's my believing. It's my trusting. It's my placing my faith in him as he has done all the work to reach down to me to give me his grace and not give me his wrath. That's what he's doing. That's what he's saying. So let me give you now the third part. And the third part is this. I love this when he says, I won't take time really to go through it, but I love it when he says in here that it is not of yourselves. It is not as a result of works. 
It's not anything that you do. It's not any work that you have done in your life. And he adds to that. He's made those two, we would, they're stated in a negative. It's not what you do. It's not of your works, lest any man should boast. That, that to me probably was funny to everybody in that day. Because what he's saying is this. Um, if you lived in the city of Ephesus, and you, you walk through the city. If you go to Ephesus with me, and I walk you through the restored parts of the city of Ephesus, you see people's names carved in marble. So-and-so built such-and-such. So-and-so built this. So-and-so. It's called the Library of Celsus. It's the big library that's down at the end of the road there in, in Ephesus. It's got somebody's name on it. And basically what Paul is saying is this ain't going to happen in heaven. God's not going to put your name on anything but you. Because nobody's going to be able to walk around heaven and say, I'm the one who did it. I'm the one who did it. I'm the one who earned my salvation. No. It's not going to happen. Everybody there will know it all began with grace. Now, see, if I were with those evangelical Anglican Pentecostals, yes, y'all, see, y'all be hollering right now. Well, watch it what he says. He comes to this third part, and the third part is this, is that the supreme work of Christ works through us. That's what's going to shine through us. Not our glory, it's his workmanship. For we are his workmanship. By the way, the pronoun there, the personal pronoun his, begins that sentence in the Greek, and it's literally his, we are, workmanship. It puts his at the beginning because it's the emphasis on whose workmanship this is. We are his workmanship, created. You see that? We have been recreated. Up here in verse 1 of chapter 2, we're dead. Now you get down here, but God in verse 4, and in verse 5, but God, we've been made alive together with Christ. Now you come and you see God has recreated your life. Whoever you are in trusting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he's now remade you. That's why we call it the new birth. You have been rebirthed, born again. You are a new creature, Paul says, in Jesus Christ. I'm not the same old me that I used to be. That's the whole picture of baptism there. The me that I used to be is being laid down in the watery grave. The me that comes up is the fact that Jesus Christ now lives in me. That's the beautiful picture of baptism. And so he comes and he says, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand. That goes back to the very first chapter in verse 4 where it says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, back there in eternity past, God knew you, God chose you, and now he says God prepared a work for you to do. Not a single soul in this place can say, there's really nothing God has for me. Oh, yes, he does. And by the way, he prepared it in eternity past. Why is it taking you so long to figure it out? God's got something for every one of you sitting in here to do. 
Well, I just don't understand it. Well, I tell you what I'd be doing. I'd be trying to figure it out real fast. Once God got a hold of me, finally got a hold of me, he, he couldn't keep me from coming down that aisle to surrender to what he called me to do. So that's what he's saying here. You, you are his workmanship. Do you see that right there? Workmanship. Do you know what that word is in the Greek? Poimia. Do you know what poimia is? What's that sound like? Poema. Poema. Poem. That's it. It's our word poem. A lot of guys will preach it and say that's what we are. And in a sense, they're right. We are God's poem. He's written you. But the word poema, it really comes out of this word to make. And it means uh, what an artist makes is art. In other words, the great artist has made you. He's recreated. He's taken your life after you shattered it in sin, and he's remade you into a beautiful piece of art like the Madonna that I showed you. He didn't just nail you together and slap some paint here and there on it. He is carefully recreated, restored you to the purpose that he has for you. And you become, listen, the word literally means any great or any piece of art made by an artist. He says, we are his. He's the great artist. He doesn't make flawed stuff. Do, 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 you, do you hear what I'm saying to you? You are God's piece of art. Now, people have never told you that before, have they? They've told you you're a piece of work. But your pastor is telling you <laughs> that the Word of God says you are God's piece of art because He restores you. He does that. That's His work. And it's all His. And your contribution is just putting your faith and trust in Him. Several years ago, back, back in 1992 is when it was, was a lady by the name of Gracie Davy. She and a group of ladies, her friends, they lived in England and they lived out from the city, and they loved to go through the hillsides. And so they'd go on these long walks through the hillsides, and one day, this group of ladies came up on a thicket of woods. Uh, a lot of undergrowth in there, but they could see that there was something in there, and so they decided, we're going to go in there and take a look at it and see what it is. They got in there, and they discovered it was a church that had been bombed in World War II. Uh, the Germans had dropped bombs in this area, bombed this church. The roof was gone. The steeple was broken over. The doors had dry rotted. Um, much of the floor was gone. So much detritus and uh, rubbish all in the place. But they went in and then they were shocked because they discovered this was where a witch's coven would meet. And Satanists had painted satanic signs all over the broken up church's walls. Well, they left out of there in horror. She went back to her husband, Bob, who was a retired minister. And she said, Bob, you've just got to come see this. I've never seen anything like it before. And she says, it's just absolutely horrible what has happened there. 
And so she takes Bob, he, he's retired, he'll do some uh, weddings, he'll do a funeral here or there, he'll do some baptisms, but he'll, he, he, he's basically not doing anything. So she takes him out there and she shows him the church and then she takes him inside and he sees all of this satanic graffiti up on the walls and it just absolutely crushes his heart. He says, I'm not going to leave this like this. He says, I'm going to spend the rest of my life restoring this church. So he goes in. The first thing that he does is he begins to clean out everything that is in there. He begins to clean it out. And then he starts getting letters from these anonymous letters from these Satanists who say, if you don't stop messing with our worship place, we're going to kill you. But he keeps on. Doesn't stop him. Doesn't bother him. He doesn't worry about it. So he goes in and he begins to clean out. And as he's cleaning out, he comes across something that he had no idea he would find. Two wall paintings off of the walls of the church that turns out to be St. Mary's Church. Anglican Church, old Anglican Church. The two paintings happen to be the first church paintings on the wall of an English church in English history. This is about a thousand years, 800 to a thousand years old. And so they begin to restore the building. They begin to restore the church. He works on that church for 22 years. He doesn't take a single vacation day. The only day he would take off would be Sunday or if he had to do a christening or if he had to do a funeral or a wedding. The only thing that would stop him would be that and he worked on it for 22 years until he was 91 years of age, and he dies. And it's exactly what Paul says has happened to you and to me, that my life was shattered. And over my life, Satan had scribbled every imaginable sin you could think up. And not over 22 years, but in the twinkling of an eye, this master artist walked into my life and washed away every sin and every stain and every mar and mark that Satan had painted on my life and restored me to a point where his glory now could shine through my life. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship. Let's stand. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.